Well, good evening, everyone. It's really lovely to be here. And has been said, it's lovely to be able to come and to give a word of personal testimony and to talk about how God has saved me and how he has kept me and how his grace has sustained me through difficult times. Um, first of all, I've come without my glasses <laughs> and my notes. <laughs> so you'll have to forgive me because I'm hoping I'll be able to see the clock okay as well. Um, but do you know what really is a privilege to be here um, in all seriousness? Um, it's nice to be back in County Tyrone again. Um, I was actually born in Tyrone in a little town called Castlederg. And I suppose going back, I was brought up in a family of four children. I'm the second child in the family. I have an older sister, Linda, and I will make mention of her later. And then I have two younger siblings, a brother and a sister. Being brought up in Castle Derg, there was a tent mission came in the late 1970s. No, sorry, the late 1960s. And mum and dad went along to that tent mission, or they were taken, and they were both saved at that mission. That meant then that we started attending a different church, and I would have been around 11 at that time. And I remember very clearly, you know, we had two services every Sunday. Morning service was for believers, and the night service was for, the, was for preaching the gospel. And I knew that God was really starting to deal with my heart because I dreaded the evening service. Every night, the gospel was faithfully preached and an appeal would have been made and I would have been sitting just wanting it to be over, felt so convicted, but yet I was so scared of what to do and I just wanted to get out and that was it for another week. And that went on for some time until... December 1974, and I was 13, and I went into church on the Sunday morning, and it didn't really cost me a thought, as I knew it was a service for believers, probably. But the minister that morning preached a sermon all about heaven, and he made heaven seem so real, and such a wonderful place to know that you were going to. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I was sitting between mum and dad, and I knew they were both saved. And I knew that if I didn't get saved, I would never, ever be in heaven. And that's just what God's word tells us. And the prospect of going to the other place of darkness called hell, I just couldn't deal with that. And I, I knew before the service was over that I was really struggling with conviction and then they announced the final hymn, which was when the role is called up yonder. And as I started to sing that hymn, I started to cry. And I actually had to sit down with mummy beside me until the service was over. And the minister came back in and he prayed with me and he led me to the Lord. And I remember opening my eyes and just looking into his face and I said, but how do I know that God has really accepted me? because I felt so unworthy. And he just said, Avril, there's a lovely little verse I'm going to leave with you. And it said, All that the Father giveth me cometh to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. 
And you know, I went out that day and it was just like a whole burden had lifted off my shoulders. It was the start of a new life. And the next day, mummy was going into hospital for a, just a day procedure, an operation. And an elderly aunt was coming to look after the home. And that morning I said to her, would you let me stay home today from school? And she agreed. And I went into the living room and I unplugged the old record player and I took it up to the bedroom. And now we only had two vinyl records at that time. And one was the Reverend Ian Paisley preaching <laughs> and the other was the Reverend William McRae singing. And I got back into bed and I listened to those two records all morning because I just couldn't get enough of, of the Lord, of wanting to hear more about him and wanting to know more about this life that he had brought me into by his grace. And it was just wonderful. And over the next few years, God was with me as I finished up with school. I was very fortunate to have two Christian friends in school. And then when I was only 17, I left Castle Derg and went to Belfast. And I started my three years general training to be a nurse. And through those three years, again, I have to thank God for protecting me and keeping me from temptation and sin and giving me Christian friends. I qualified as a staff nurse then in 1983, and I worked in sick children's for about 18 months before I went to do my midwifery. And during midwifery again, there were some Christian midwives, which was lovely. Qualified as a midwife, and I got a job in a neonatal unit. And I worked there looking after very sick babies for about another six months. Then I was called back to work in pediatrics again. Found that hard to understand why the Lord had taken me out of midwifery and back to children's. But during that time, as the months went on, um, I was working with a girl who was leaving to do her health visiting. And I felt very led towards applying for that which I did. And then at the same time, I met a lovely young man who came over one night to do bloods on a baby, a lovely Christian man called Paul Neely. And the name gives it away, I think. So Paul and I met that evening, realized that we had Christian friends, mutual friends. Um, we built up a lovely friendship. There was four of us ran around together and it actually took him six months to ask me out, so I don't know what that says. <laughs> but um, August 1987, Paul asked me out, and August 1989, we were married. And in between that time, I got to do my health visiting and got qualified just a few weeks before getting married. Paul, on the other hand, was pursuing a career in surgery. He was training to be a surgeon, and his interest was working with people who had uh, bowel problems like cancers, uh, colitis, Crohn's disease, anything of that nature. So I was very glad when we got married um, that I was working a job that had regular hours and no weekends. When we got married, we bought our first house in Glengormley, just outside Belfast. And we went on to have three little children at that time. Hannah is now 32, and Matthew is just 30, past 30, and Sam is about 27. 
and I was working full-time as a health visitor, so you can imagine life was quite busy. At that time, we were in a lovely church, um, Ballycraigie and Ballycraigie Congregational, and Tom Shaw would have been our pastor, and those were very blessed years. We always knew that at some stage, we would have to leave Northern Ireland for a year and go away to do a specialist training year for Paul's job. And I remember one evening he came home very excited from London and he had met a Christian surgeon that day who worked in Auckland in New Zealand and he was doing research into the very area that Paul was looking to expand on. So Paul came home that evening very excited and said, Avril, I think we're for New Zealand in a few weeks' time. And I said, Paul, how soon is a few weeks? Because I was due a baby on the 28th of December, and this would have been the end of September. And he said, well, they want us out there the first week of January. And I sort of thought, that's impossible, because I'm, I always have sections. And he said, I've it all sorted, Avril. I phoned your obstetrician on the way home, and you're going in two weeks early. So it takes a man to sort things out, doesn't it? So, yeah, we were on a plane at the beginning of January to New Zealand with a little four-week-old, a three- and a four-year-old. But, do you know, God undertook. When we got to New Zealand, the first thing we looked for was a church. And we found a church, and the pastor in the church was from Brasheen in Northern Ireland. And we just couldn't believe that. They became our surrogate grandparents, you may say, and they were a tremendous help to me whenever things got a bit much, as they did, because Paul was just constantly working. He brought us back to Northern Ireland safely, and Paul continued on through his exams until he was ready for a consultant's post. And a post came up on Alton Galvin in 2000, and he applied and got the job. So July 2000, we left Belfast, and we all moved down to Limavady. I was able to leave work at that time, which was just lovely to be at home. And Paul was settling into his new role as a consultant surgeon and just loving it. And the children loved Limavady. They all got into good schools and we settled into Limavady Baptist Church. And the next 18 months really were, I often refer to them as my mountaintop experience. A time when it seemed that Everything was just perfect, and everything was as it should be. And it was almost like nothing could ever go wrong. Nothing could disrupt that lovely life that we had. And we never for one moment thought that it would. But it's strange to say that within a period of only six months, exactly, God brought us from a mountaintop right down into a valley experience and it happened in different stages. And, you know, the first thing that happened was I had been out for dinner with some mums from the primary school that night. And during the night, I became very, very ill, was rushed into theatre early the next morning and had to have an ovary and a cyst and a fallopian tube removed. And that was OK. I got back home again just in time for Christmas and then at the start of the new year, as I was recovering, I got a phone call to say that 
on further examination, they had discovered there was cancer cells in my ovary. And how soon did they feel I could come back in again? So surgery was booked for the second time for the beginning of March, which gave me six or seven weeks to recover. We went back in again and um, everything was good. They did um, quite a lot of surgery to make sure that this never would reoccur again. But I was very blessed that I didn't need treatment, just six monthly checkups and everything has been good. But it really made us stop and think we never expected this. And as I was starting to recover from that second operation, I think I was three weeks or so into it whenever we all had to go to Castle Derg to stay with mum because Paul was gone out of the country and I still couldn't drive. And it was around Easter time. And we realised that my sister Linda had a lovely little boy, Nathan, who was nine years old. And we realised that he wasn't well. And I noticed it that week when I was staying with mum. We returned home to Limavady at the end of the week and a few days later, my sister rang me late one night to say that Nathan was now in the Royal. And they did a scan that night and discovered that he had a malignant brain tumour. And within three weeks, little Nathan had passed away. And I remember at that time just thinking, like just questioning God and saying, God, what are you doing here? We felt a bit like, you know how the disciples felt out and the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And they just seemed to be crashed with one thing after another. And I could just imagine them looking over their shoulder and seeing Jesus lying asleep and thinking, does he not care that we're going to die here? And they woke him up and said, do you not care? And I know in my own heart that I would have questioned God as to why these things were happening. We knew that losing Nathan Life was never going to be the same again for my sister and her husband and for the whole family, grandparents and all. And it just seemed too difficult. But over the next six weeks or so, before we knew it, after Nathan's funeral, we were into the end of June. And we had a little holiday booked to go to the Lake District and we decided that we would go ahead. We still were sort of reeling from it. But that week I noticed that Paul just wasn't his usual self. He didn't seem to want to be as active with the children as he normally would have. He didn't want to go far away from the house. He wanted to stay close by. And I do remember on one occasion saying to him, and he just said, Avril, I think I've got irritable bowel syndrome. And normally when I leave work, it settles after the stress goes but for some reason this week it hasn't. And I always said to Paul, you need to go and get this checked out. But he just used to shrug his shoulders and say, I can't go and get a test done. I know every nurse and every doctor in the place. But we got the holiday over, we got home. And the first week back, he got up very early that first morning and he said goodbye. And he said, I'm away in early today because there's something that I have to see to. And I didn't really give it much thought, to be honest, because that would have been quite normal if he'd have been taking medical students on an early morning ward round or something. I went back to sleep and got up later, and the children were in the living room. 
And I just couldn't settle. I felt very uneasy about Paul. And I started to feel that I needed to go back upstairs and pray. And really to pray that he would get the courage to go and to get this thing sorted out. And I came back down again and started to make coffee. And the telephone rang. And it was the sister from day procedure unit. And she just said, Avril, we've got Paul here in day procedure. And he's been very brave. And he's had a colonoscopy done. But he's not feeling well. And we were wondering, could you maybe drive up to Londonderry and pick him up and bring him home? And some of us will get his car back to him. And I thought, that's very strange. But that was okay. I said, no problem. Give us half an hour and we'll be up. And then there was that, you know, that awkward pause. And she says, oh, of course, you've got the children with you right now. And I said, I do. And she said, could you come without the children? And I just knew then she didn't need to say another word. And I drove that road just constantly praying that God would give me the strength that I needed because I knew there was something serious. And I got into the ward, and yes, Paul gave me his diagnosis himself. And he just kept saying how sorry he was that this was happening and that at best, if he got 13 months, that was it. And here he was, booked in for surgery on Friday, which would have been his own operating day and being done by his own colleagues. We come back home that afternoon and we rang Pastor Shaw and he comes straight over. And we cried, and we prayed, and we talked. And we told the children that evening that Dad had some early cancer. We didn't give them all the details because one of them was due to do their transfer test in a few weeks' time. We told them as much as they needed to know, and there was lots of prayer for him. He got through surgery. He started his chemotherapy in September 2002, and that went really well. And he stuck with that for nine months. And he was on a three-week cycle. So the first week he would have been feeling absolutely rotten, lay on the couch. But then week two and week three, Paul was back in the hospital. And he was operating and seeing patients. And he witnessed to every person that he worked with. And he used to ring me to the house and say, Avril, would you go down to the bookshop and get me some more books or some more tracks and I remember saying one day, Paul, are you sure you're allowed to do this? And he said, I don't care. What have I to lose now? You know, if, if they sack me, I'm, I'm only going to be around. And, you know, it was amazing. He had two, at least two that we know of, patients who trusted the Lord after Paul spending time with them. And he kept on going. And then... Come the end of that summer of 2003, we decided enough chemo, no more. And we started an alternative therapy, all to do with organics and juicing and all of that. And we did that for eight weeks. And Paul did well, but he started around um, October, November of 2003 to get speech difficulties and he knew himself, he didn't need to go for a scan. He just said to me, he says, I know now that this has spread. And it had spread to his brain as well. And we, I managed to care for Paul at home right up until the 28th of December 2003. And then he had a massive seizure and he was admitted to um, the hospice in Londonderry. 
and he was there right through to God called him home on the 15th of February 2004. So it was just 19 years last week. And he was only 40 years old and I would have been 41 at the time. So a little verse that I normally read, Psalm 23, um, the Lord is my shepherd. I would home in on verse 4, which is, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. And here we were, myself with Hannah at 11, Matthew 10 and Psalm 8, into a valley that we had absolutely no desire to be in. We had no choice over that valley. But the one thing that I did know when I stood that day after the funeral, that God was in this valley before me. I had to believe that. The only thing, the only way God could speak to me was through the Bible. There was no other way. I could speak to him through prayer. But it was lovely for me then to reach for his word and to hear him speak to me through that. He promised me that, yes, a valley is something that I have to walk through. There's a way in a valley and there's a way out. It's not a dead end, thank goodness. And he said that he would never leave me and that he would never forsake me. And I had to believe that because it was written in his word. But there was days when I questioned it. There was days when I felt he wasn't in the valley with me. Because you see, valleys are dangerous and they're dark and they're dreary. And they're dangerous because Satan's in that valley with you. If you're a believer, he's right behind you. And he's whispering over your shoulder things like, do you really believe that God cares for you? If God really loved you, Avril, he would have answered the people's prayers. If he, re if he really cared for you, you wouldn't be sitting here with three children breaking their hearts. And it was one difficult, dark place to be. Some days I just couldn't feel his presence, but I had to believe that he was there. Other mornings I remember being so heartbroken and feeling almost alone and forgotten about and that would have been the morning that a little card would have come through the letterbox. Somebody that didn't know me, but yet God put me on their heart maybe 48 hours earlier. And they had sitting and written the most beautiful Christian letter. And that arrived the very moment that I needed it. So if you ever feel God prompting you to go to someone, to write to someone, to contact them, don't ignore that, because I really do believe that God puts people on our hearts. God can't come to us physically, but he can send other people. And you know, for the children, um, it was so difficult for them. We were a family that Hannah was saved at this time. The two boys still weren't. But we were a family that just put so much emphasis on prayer and devotions with them. And I used to sing that little chorus with them. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And I remember one day Hannah just said to me, Mommy, where's your strong God now? Because she really believed that God was going to answer her prayers and save her daddy. 
And they used to come to me at night in tears. And do you know as a mummy when your child comes to you and they sit on your knee, you normally you give them a hug, you give them a kiss. You kissed it better. You reassured them. But I couldn't make this better. All the crying and all the hugging didn't matter. My children missed their daddy. And it was very difficult for me to explain to them that I had the faith to believe that this was all part of God's plan. And I had to go with that. But, you know, God brings us through the valley. He fills us with promises. He fills us with his presence. And he gives us that lovely peace that nobody else can give. He gives you a peace that passes all understanding. You may question, you may never know. But God says, I'll give you peace when you stop questioning. And he's just wonderful. Many a night getting out of bed, not able to sleep, and down on my knees. And I would have cried across the bed too. <laughs> and the pillow would have been soaking. And yet I was able to get back up into bed and flip the pillow over. And God just give me peace to go back to sleep again. And I knew then that everything would be okay. And eventually he brought us out of the valley. So we entered it, we endured it, and we came out. And God has given me an acceptance and a peace. Yes, there were many days that the Lord and I had words and questions. But I have realized that it's, it's only him that can take away the questions and give us peace. The day that I asked him into my heart, as a little girl of 13, I never realized then how much I would need him. But you know, he never left me from that day to today. And we've been through other valleys since that. Valleys of despair. Valleys with wayward children. And it just breaks my heart. But you know, I know that God will sustain me through this valley as well. And I know that he'll touch my children's hearts again. And I just have to live my life before them and let them see that God is the greatest. It doesn't matter about circumstances. We, we have God. We have everything. So friends, tonight, I would just pray that if you have the Lord, that you would get confidence tonight to know that if you ever face a valley, that you know that God will be with you. We have to hide his word in our heart because we, we never realize how much we'll need it. Lying in bed at night and just constantly repeating scripture verses to get you back to sleep. But he's a wonderful God and he's brought us through so much. And if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, you're maybe thinking, well, I know people have come through the same valleys as you, Avril, and they weren't saved and they got through and that's maybe so. People use other crutches to get through things like this. But do you know one day there's another valley to face? And it's called the valley of death. And I don't know how anybody in this church tonight will face that valley without the Lord. Because it's maybe too late then. And you'll only go through that valley to go to one of two places. You'll either go to heaven to see the Savior and to see the Lord and to see all of those that have gone on before that you loved and that loved the Lord. Or you'll go to that place of darkness, of hell. And I pray tonight that you will not ever consider 
going to hell. Will you stay tonight? Will you ask Jesus into your heart and be ready for heaven? Because I just don't know how you will get through valleys if you're not. I really do pray, you know, we come here tonight to testify and it's nothing about us, not a word about us, it's all about God. And I know that there's people in these seats tonight that have been through maybe more difficult valleys than I have. But I just pray that through every word that has been said tonight, that only Jesus will be seen and that you will want to know more. And I pray tonight that you will come and speak. If there's any questions, you'll speak to any of the pastors or elders or whatever. But please, please don't leave tonight without asking the Lord into your heart. Amen.